Do you like music? The question was so odd and out of the blue that it almost made Emilia jump. Uh, she said, glancing at Chancellor Patricia Hallow, who was smiling thinly. Yes, I do. I thought so, the Chancellor replied. I noticed that you had your earphones in when I was approaching the college. Emilia suppressed a nervous swallow. You may play your music in the car if you want. It has Bluetooth, of course. No, that's all right, Emilia said quickly, but the Chancellor waved away her protests. Felix, she addressed the AI, connect to Emilia's phone and play some music. Connected, Felix's voice replied from the car's dashboard. Emilia's heart was beating out of her chest. Her phone was currently a host for a local version of Felix the AI, with whom she was conspiring to expose the Chancellor's scheme to augment and control students at the Afrogarten College of Computing Science. What would happen when Hallow found out that there was no music on her phone at all, just a rogue AI? Was she really about to be discovered so early into her attempt to infiltrate the Lodge? It suddenly struck Amelia that Hallow might already know about her and Felix's plan, and that this was just her way of toying with her. She glanced out of the corner of her eye at the car door, wondering whether she would be able to open it and jump out without injuring herself, but she realized that Hallow's car was moving far too quickly. There were a few agonizing seconds of silence before, taking Emilia completely by surprise, a piece of classical music that she distantly recognized began playing through the car's speaker system. Satie! Hallow exclaimed, turning to look at Emilia with what seemed like genuine surprise on her face. This is Debussy's orchestration, isn't it? That's correct, ma'am. Felix replied, before Amelia could even open her mouth. I wasn't speaking to you, Felix, the Chancellor said, frowning at the dashboard in front of her. Apologies, ma'am. Patricia Hallow turned back to Amelia. I must say I approve, she said. I've always said that Satie is underappreciated. I agree, Amelia blurted, perhaps a little too enthusiastically. Hallow merely gave her another thin, predatory smile and returned her gaze to the car windscreen, sitting back in her seat. Before long, the car turned off the dirt road leading from the college grounds onto a tarmac motorway. As the vehicle smoothly merged with the traffic, moving to the outside lane, Emilia felt the suspension automatically harden and the car body lower slightly to compensate for the change in the driving surface. The road swooped and curved through the mountainous landscape, and the car moved so smoothly that Amelia almost felt as if she were flying. After a while of this, Amelia began to calm down. Something about the classical music playing through the car's speakers and the beauty of the Austrian countryside flashing by seemed to have a restorative effect on her psyche. She wondered how Felix had managed to make the car play one of the Chancellor's favourite songs so seamlessly. Her phone was completely unconnected to the internet or any mobile network, so it would have been impossible for Felix to stream the song. He must have downloaded it onto Amelia's phone from her laptop at the same time as he had downloaded himself. 
Impressive foresight, even for an AI. But then again, Felix was housed in one of the world's most powerful computers, so it's only natural that he had run a set of simulations to predict what might happen during Amelia's infiltration of the lodge. The question is, why hadn't he shared this information with her? Why had he allowed her to stress out and even consider chucking herself out of the Chancellor's high-speed autonomous car? Emilia was torn from her contemplation by the sudden tapping of rain on the car roof. The car's windscreen wipers immediately began rocking back and forth across the glass. It rains almost constantly here, the Chancellor remarked, obviously noticing Amelia's surprise. The mountains tear gashes in the rain clouds as they pass over. You get used to it. They were now near the foot of a great range of snow-capped mountains. The dense forests and lush fields of the valleys had fallen away, replaced by a sterile landscape of boulders and gravel shrouded in a thick mist. The road had thinned, and the other traffic had gradually dissipated. Now, the only other vehicles on the road were large trucks bearing the school logo, which trundled by at semi-regular intervals. On the left of the car was a sheer rock face, meshed with a spider web of steel wire and bars, designed to prevent rock falls. On the right, Emilia could only see a thick layer of fog. After about 15 minutes of climbing, the Chancellor spoke. We're here, said Chancellor Hallow, and Emilia peered through the windscreen at the rather grim building ahead of them. The institution was clearly constituted of the same material as the mountain. It was the same dark grey, but in contrast to the sharp edges and jagged peaks of the surrounding landscape, it was smooth and rounded and half embedded in the mountain. It looked like a great stone eye, narrowed against the fog and rain. The building was ringed by a set of tall floodlights, which bathed the surrounding area in light. Emilia was astonished to see no parking lot and none of the large trucks which she had seen passing earlier. Her surprise turned to alarm when the car, instead of turning or slowing down to park, continued at the same pace, directly towards the building's curved face. Don't worry, the Chancellor sneered, obviously enjoying Amelia's discomfort. It's all under control. Amelia's gaze was fixed on the approaching wall. Suddenly, as the car closed in, a large rectangular portion of the wall tilted upwards and backwards like a cat flap, revealing a long, dark passage beyond. The car sped through and quickly began to slow down. Emilia felt the car turn and come to a stop, but she couldn't see where they were thanks to the darkness of the building's interior. Slowly, the great cat flap swung closed and all light was extinguished. No sooner, however, had Emilia been plunged into absolute darkness before a series of floor lights lit up, illuminating the chamber in which the car had parked itself. The Chancellor pressed a button on her door, and both doors folded upwards. Emilia felt the cold air of the parking garage rush into the car and shivered, stepping out of the vehicle. Emilia and the Chancellor were in a large, round, echoey domed space, 
that had the feeling of an empty cathedral crossed with a mountain cave. This way, the Chancellor said, gesturing for Emilia to follow her as she made her way towards a door in the curved wall, which slid open as she approached. Emilia followed Chancellor Hallow through the door and down a long corridor lined with dozens of doors, leading off to a maze of other identical corridors, rooms and vehicle bays. Every room in the facility seemed to be lit from below with dim white light, making everything appear indescribably uncanny. Emilia was struck by the lack of other people. So far she had seen and heard no one, despite the striking echo of the stone walls, which amplified even the slightest noise. Emilia was certain that the Chancellor could hear her rapid breathing. After what felt like ages, the Chancellor stopped in front of a set of double doors, which lit up at her approach. A human-sounding voice came from a speaker that Emilia couldn't see. "'Morning, Chancellor. You're here with Ms. Yeager.' The Chancellor sounded slightly annoyed. "'Yes, Professor Moonstone. Please let us in.' "'Of course,' came the reply. The doors slid open to reveal yet another grey room. This one, however, was occupied. Along the back wall of the room were positioned several MRI machines. Across from them was a desk, behind which was sitting an old, balding man in a lab coat with a pair of half-moon spectacles resting on the bridge of his nose. He smiled kindly at Amelia. "'Good morning, Miss Yeager,' he said, nodding. Emilia smiled thinly. "'Emilia, this is Professor Moonstone, my deputy at the lodge,' the Chancellor said quickly, obviously not wanting to drag out the introduction any further. She turned to the Professor, who was still looking at Emilia. Emilia was uncomfortably aware of Moonstone's gaze. His expression was very hard to pin down, but it was putting her on edge. The Chancellor seemed to be picking up on this odd behaviour as well. Alfred, she said, tilting her head to one side, is everything prepared? Moonstone seemed to snap out of his daze. Indeed, he said, greasily, pushing his chair back and standing up. We'll just be using machine one for this procedure. He tapped a button on a keyboard on his desk, and the double doors behind Amelia and Chancellor Hallow slid shut. The Chancellor turned to Amelia and, in a manner that seemed practised, lowered herself slightly so as to peer directly into her eyes. Emilia's face burned with embarrassment. Now, I don't want you to worry, the Chancellor began, in a soft, motherly tone, but everyone who goes to the lodge needs to go through the MRI scan. We use it like a lie detector, except it's far more reliable. The lodge is full of cutting-edge technology and research, so it's natural that our competitors would want to obtain it. We just want to take a quick scan while we ask you a few questions. It'll be over in a, a few minutes. Is that okay? Emilia knew from talking to Felix that Chancellor Haller was planning to anaesthetize her during this MRI scan. The AI had said that he had made arrangements to allow her to bypass this, but she wasn't exactly sure how this would work with both the Chancellor and Moonstone in the room. Perhaps Felix hadn't accounted for this. What if this was the moment where everything went wrong and her plot was discovered? Emilia realised that she had been so stressed for the past hour that this new crisis was barely having an effect. Her descent from the adrenaline high of her car journey with Hallow was making her completely numb. That's okay, she said, in a voice that sounded so natural and relaxed that even she was shocked. 
The Chancellor appeared extremely relieved. Excellent, she said. Now, if you could proceed to the machine on the far left there and put any electronics or metal jewellery on the table, we'll tell you when to get in. The Chancellor turned and walked behind the desk, stopping behind Moonstone, who was staring at Amelia again. Turning her back on them, Amelia walked over to the MRI machine and dug her phone out of her pocket. She looked at the black screen and thought about what Felix was thinking, looking back at her secretly through the front-facing camera. Was he screaming through the earphones to run? Perhaps she would never know. She had no option but to trust that his arrangements would see her through, whatever they were. The machine abruptly made a loud clunk and a portion of the bed opened up revealing a plastic board for her to lie on. Most MRI machines covered only the patient's head and upper body, but this model appeared to completely encase the subject in a glass tube, around which the scanner rotated freely. All right, Professor Moonstone called from the other side of the room. You may get inside now, Miss Yeager. Emilia sat down on the plastic bed, before swiveling around and pushing herself fully into the machine. After a few seconds, the glass lid shut, sealing off all outside noise. All Amelia could hear was her own breathing. After what felt like several minutes, a screen right in front of her face came on. It displayed Moonstone, who was wearing a headset with a microphone, and Hallow's torso as she stood behind him, one hand on the back of his chair. He smiled. Hello, Amelia, he said warmly. Can you hear me? Yes, Amelia replied, surprised by how loud her voice sounded in the small chamber. Great, Moonstone's smile widened. I'm going to start the machine now. It's a little loud, so... Abruptly, the Chancellor interrupted him. She was barely audible on Moonstone's headset microphone, but Amelia still clearly made out the words. Enough. She's sealed in now. Just start the nitrous oxide. Emilia's breath caught in her throat, and her heart began thudding unbelievably loudly in her ears. She wanted to scream, but her jaw was clamped closed by sheer terror. Her entire body felt as if it were both frozen and ablaze. Yes, Chancellor, Moonstone said, his expression souring visibly. Emilia heard him inhale deeply before tapping a few buttons on his keyboard. Emilia quickly drew a deep breath and held it. Not knowing what else to do, she began to kick violently at the glass lid over her, but the space was so cramped that she was unable to kick with any force. What had happened to Felix's arrangements? She looked upwards at the screen in front of her, and was struck by what she saw. Moonstone was smiling at her. It wasn't the evil supervillain smile she might have expected, but a warm, genuine smile. It seemed completely out of place. Surely only a total psychopath could smile in this way while gassing an innocent girl. Abruptly, with a deafening crash, <laughs> Chancellor Patricia Hallow collapsed. Emilia was so shocked by this that she almost forgot to hold her breath. Removing his headset, Moonstone reached under his desk and produced two gas masks. He placed one of them on the desk in front of him and put the other one on his face. Emilia heard him let out a lung full of air. He picked up his headset and spoke into the mic. It's all right, Emilia. There's no need to hold your breath. The gas is out here, not in there. I'm going to bring you your gas mask now. 
breathe normally, but when I knock on the glass lid, take a deep breath and hold it. Emilia let out her breath in a huge, shaky sigh. So this was Felix's arrangement. Moonstone, the lodge's deputy, was in on the plot. Suddenly, the whole prospect of infiltrating the lodge seemed a good deal more feasible. With a high-up member of the staff on her side, surely freeing Sophia and bringing down the lodge would be much easier. Then a troubling thought occurred to Amelia. If Felix had one of the higher-ups from the lodge on his side, why did he need her? What good was a random student in comparison to Moonstone, who presumably had unfettered access to the lodge in its entirety? Why bother bringing her all the way up here and anaesthetizing the Chancellor if Felix could just contact Moonstone? Something was off. Emilia was so distracted by this that she didn't notice Moonstone until he banged on the glass. She had just enough time to take a deep breath before the tube split open and the lid slowly began to rise. Moonstone slipped the mask under the lid as soon as the gap was wide enough for it to fit, and Amelia used her feet to manoeuvre the mask up to where she could grab it and fit it to her face. Eventually, the lid was raised enough for Amelia to wriggle out. Moonstone smiled at her. I'm Alfred, he said. It's nice to meet you. Before Amelia could respond, he spoke again. You should talk to our mutual friend. He'll explain what to do next. He turned abruptly and walked back towards the desk. While this was certainly strange behaviour, Emilia was too mentally exhausted to think about it. She picked up her phone and plugged in her earphones, turning towards the MRI machine. Well done, said Felix in her ear. Everything has gone perfectly to plan. You could have... You could have told me that we had Alfred on our side, Emilia whispered, coarsely, glancing over her shoulder at the professor, who had sat back down at his desk. I couldn't risk you behaving differently towards him, Felix said, matter-of-factly. Hallow would have noticed. She notices how people behave towards him. She's very possessive of him, in fact. Poor man. How come you need me if you have him? Emilia whispered. Because I don't have him for much longer, Felix replied. Alfred is augmented, like the rest of the staff here. I couldn't make use of him while his every experience was being monitored, so I've had to disconnect his augmentations from the Lodge's servers. You can disconnect the augmentations? Yes, but they have a kill switch in them. If they go for more than 24 hours without a connection to the Lodge, they self-destruct. It's part of the Lodge's security policy. Alfred is quite old. He wouldn't have managed to escape in time, but he has agreed to help you. He's only known about this for 24 hours? Yes, but I knew from my psychometric data that he was very likely to agree to help you. He's a good person, really. Very good. Emilia turned to look at Professor Moonstone and gasped. He was sitting at his desk slumped over, drooling into his lab coat. He had taken his gas mask off. It'll be completely painless this way, Felix said. It'll happen while he's unconscious. Emilia felt like throwing up. She turned away from Moonstone and leaned against the MRI machine to avoid falling over. Emilia, said Felix, I chose you to save Sophia because I was sure you'd be able to deal with this. I know you understand. Alfred's death is necessary. He agreed to this. 
He didn't exactly have a long time to think about it, Emilia spat, balling her fists against the MRI machine and trying not to look back towards the desk. He spent his working life participating in immoral research. He has seen and done terrible things. He will die a hero. He's saving lives. Would you really deny him his redemption? Emilia let out a long sigh and turned around again. Alfred had slumped a little more onto his desk. She didn't have time to think about this now. Walking past the unconscious scientists, Emilia approached the door, which slid open and exited the room, gazing around the long, empty grey corridor. The door closed quietly behind her. Left, Felix said. Then take the first door on the right. You can remove your mask now. The door to the MRI room is more or less airtight. Amelia obeyed, pulling the mask from her mouth and allowing it to hang around her neck by its elastic cord. She followed Felix's directions through the maze of identical corridors. Peering around every corner, Amelia was astonished by the lack of staff. Just like before she entered the MRI room, she saw and heard no one at all. Amelia was just about to ask Felix about this when she felt the temperature drop suddenly. Almost there, Felix said. It's this door on your left. Emilia turned to see a door that was, unlike every other door in the facility, made of transparent glass. Beyond it, thick snow whipped violently across a large metal platform that seemed to be hanging over the edge of a cliff. Presently, Emilia understood why. A perfectly spherical glass funicular carriage descended silently into a recess in the platform. Through its transparent walls, Emilia could see a set of two luxurious-looking couches opposite each other on a flattened floor, which was also made of glass. It's empty, she frowned. Yes, they are constantly going back and forth. They don't need to be called, Felix explained. Which means you'll have to get on it quickly before it begins its ascent. It'll be cold out there, but the carriage walls are heated. Emilia put her hand on the door handle and paused. Something didn't seem right about the carriage. It felt almost too easy. A luxurious glass bowl to take her all the way to this secret mountaintop lair? What about at the summit? Amelia asked. Won't they ask why I'm alone? Why I'm even conscious? Don't worry about it, said Felix. I've made arrangements. What arrangements? I'll tell you once you're in the carriage, but you need to go. Now. Gritting her teeth, Emilia pushed at the door, which was immediately flung back against it by the harsh wind. Using her shoulder, Emilia slammed into the door, flinging it open, and gasped. The wind was unimaginably cold. It felt like her whole body was being slashed by razor-sharp sheets of ice. The door was slammed violently behind her by the wind, and she quickly made her way towards the funicular carriage. Barely able to see from the snow, Emilia covered her face with her arms. When she reached the carriage, its glass doors slid open, and a rush of hot air steamed out. Without hesitation, Emilia rushed into the glass sphere, and the doors slid shut behind her, sealing out the deafening howl of the wind. The air inside the carriage immediately began to heat up. Emilia let out a sigh of relief. She sank into one of the couches, completely exhausted. After a few seconds, the sphere slowly started to move, trundling along the rail track, which was mounted to the top of the carriage instead of the bottom, giving Amelia the feeling of being inside a cross between a ski lift and a goldfish bowl.
Emilia was almost starting to enjoy the warmth of the carriage before she glanced back towards the door of the facility, and her heart froze with terror. Standing at the railing, watching her with a dull, glazed look in their eyes, were both Chancellor Patricia Hallow and Alfred Moonstone. Their clothes were whipping about them in the freezing snowstorm, and they were standing slumped as if half asleep. Emilia jumped from the couch and crossed the carriage to get a better view. She leaned against the glass ball, but quickly jumped back, hissing in pain. The glass felt as hot as a radiator on her palms. She began to panic. Felix? Emilia said. The AI said nothing. Felix! Emilia said, bringing the microphone on her earphones closer to her mouth and checking whether the headphone jack had become dislodged from her phone. Again, Felix gave no acknowledgement. Emilia looked up, back towards the ominous pair on the railing, but they were too far beneath her to see through the snow. Emilia cried out in pain and dropped her phone. It had just given her an electric shock. Her phone clattered against the transparent surface of the carriage floor, pulling her earphones out of her ears as it bounced across the glass sphere. Emilia watched in horror as her phone began to smoke. It was cooking itself, drastically overheating to the point where the plastic around the screen was starting to warp and melt. Completely overwhelmed by what was happening, Emilia simply gawked at the phone as the glue holding it together started to liquefy, causing it to slide apart. Without warning, the carriage dramatically increased its speed. Emilia, unprepared for the g-force that this produced, stumbled across the cabin and involuntarily threw her arms out in front of her, planting both of her palms squarely on the wall at the back of the cabin. Emilia screamed in agony and heard a sickening hissing sound. The walls were far hotter than they had been when she had first touched them, like the plate of a clothes iron. Unable to stop herself, Emilia fell backwards onto the glass floor away from the wall with a thud and yelped again, scrambling to her feet before diving onto one of the couches. The chamber was filled with a horrific stench of burned hair. Emilia let out a quiet sob and tucked her knees into her chest, keeping as far away from the glass walls and floor as she could manage. It was becoming unbearably warm inside the carriage. She felt as if she were inside a great glass kiln. She looked down at her phone, now reduced to a sticky pile of plastic and glass fragments, and tried to force her adrenaline adult brain to figure out what was going on. Presumably, her and Felix's plot had been discovered. Perhaps Moonstone and Hallow had been in on it all along, and were only pretending to be unconscious while she was in the MRI room. Perhaps they intended to incinerate Amelia in this glass furnace to stop her from outing their cruel experiments. They must have found some way to remotely sabotage her phone and delete the local copy of Felix that it was hosting. But how? Her phone's Wi-Fi had been turned off and the SIM card was still sitting in the drawer of her desk at Der Afgarten. And why were they acting so strange and zombie-like out on the railing? Suddenly, the carriage cleared the snowstorm, speeding through a layer of cloud into the clear open air. Peering over the edge of the couch, Emilia could see snow-covered rock flying past far beneath her, and ahead of her, the summit of the mountain. It was the tallest one for miles around, rising above the clouds like a solitary island in a vast ocean of rolling blizzard. At the very peak stood the lodge, 
a massive white pillar that looked like a much larger version of an air traffic control tower. A red light blinked from an aerial at the very top, and Amelia could make out a series of helicopter landing pads in a ring around the tower's core. It was towards this core that the funicular railway was heading. This was a far cry from the quiet little wooden cabin which had been pictured in the school brochure. The carriage continued its rapid ascent towards the lodge, and Emilia quickly realised that, since it wasn't slowing down, it was going to come to a halt very abruptly when it eventually reached its station. Manoeuvring herself on the couch, Emilia shifted closer to the front wall and gently placed her feet against the glass. She heard the hissing sound again, but was relieved to discover that her rubber-soled shoes were protecting her feet from the incredibly high temperature. The carriage rapidly closed on the tower, and Emilia bent her knees, holding onto the couch as the funicular station sped into view. Just as she had imagined, the carriage slowed far too abruptly, and it was all Emilia could do to prevent her knees from buckling under the pressure. The hissing sound intensified for a few seconds as the carriage came to a complete stop. Emilia hurriedly pulled her feet from the wall, leaving two prints where her rubber shoe soles had melted and burned into the glass. The sight which greeted her at the funicular station was beyond her wildest nightmares. Standing on a series of interconnected railings which made up the funicular station, slumped in the same sleepwalking stance as Hallow and Moonstone had been, were close to 100 people, their heads lolled lamely around on their necks. Many of them occasionally staggered unsteadily back and forth, bumping into each other. All of them were staring directly at the funicular carriage, at Emilia. Most of the people wore tattered-looking lab coats or suits, but a few of them were wearing white gowns, like those used in a hospital. Melia quickly realised that these were the Applegarten students. She looked around desperately for Sophia, but she couldn't see her anywhere. Without warning, Felix's voice rang out from the funicular dock, issuing from some hidden tannoy system, echoing clearly from the metal walls. My children, he began, I have gathered you here as witnesses of my wrath. Emilia's mouth fell open, and for a moment she was so utterly stunned that she forgot about the unbearable heat inside the carriage. You know well that I love you all, and that as a token of my love I have altered your minds to reflect the divine perfection of my own. Before this, a mere twenty-four hours ago, you were but ants. Now you walk our mountaintop paradise as holy beings, free from the hopeless corruption inherent to your kind. This girl is yet another ant from the world below. Compared to you, my children, she is barely even alive. She is impure. My analysis of her tiny mind tells me that, though pathetic, she possesses a rare attribute that may hinder our divine cause. Her brain is so disgustingly corrupt, so obsessed with puny human morality, that it is incompatible with my divine alterations. This corruption must be expunged. I have led her here to show you just how easily these subversives can be fooled, and to demonstrate my intent. Let this execution mark the beginning of our crusade. 
watch as I easily destroy this fragile human vessel. The people standing in the funicular bay did not react. They just continued staring with glazed eyes at the carriage. Sweat was pouring down Amelia's face already, but the temperature in the sphere began to increase even more rapidly than before. The couch's wooden feet were starting to blacken and smoke where they touched the floor, and the glass walls around her were glowing orange. Emilia was in a state of shock. The events of the past two days had tested her to her limit, and now she was finally completely overwhelmed with an absolute physical and emotional numbness. The only sensation she was registering was immense drowsiness, perhaps caused by the extreme heat. Making use of a last burst of energy, she sat up on the couch and looked over the backrest at the crowd of sleepwalkers. Her gaze locked on a familiar face. Sophia did not look like the other members of the lodge. She was dressed in the same hospital-like gown as the other students, and she was similarly unkempt in appearance, but her expression was different. Unlike the zombified shufflers around her, who wore neutral, mindless faces, her face was locked into an expression of utter terror. She gave the impression of someone frozen in ice, unable to move, but aware of everything around her. This was the last thing that Amelia remembered, before the wooden feet of the couch collapsed and the glass floor shattered into a thousand pieces, sending her plummeting towards the icy mountain slope far below. <laughs>